Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Gospel of Luke, verse 15 and 16 says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I know that in our culture, many of our cultural background, we believe in like dreams prior to your birth, right? Uh, if you talk, if you speak with their parents, uh, your mom, usually uh, most, of a, most of our moms, I think, had a dream prior to um, giving birth to you. Some of them included uh, fruits, eating fruits, meat, hunting, dragons sometimes appear, and dragons carrying like these uh, mist, uh, you know, mythical, like, marbles, all these things, like, dreams are involved. And somehow, that is to foretell of the future and the life that you will one day live. Again, I'm not saying I believe in all that stuff, but usually there's an announcement. For the birth of John the Baptist, the angel of God comes to the parents specifically. and says, not only just say, hey, he foretells of the life that John will live. And Gabriel announces that, I think this is a sim- very similar, if not the Nazarite vow. Live very specifically. Do not eat certain things. And do as I'm telling you now. And it says, this little boy will have a purpose. And that purpose is what? Because of him, many people will be brought back to the Lord their God. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing affirmation of the call of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his life and his life's assignment was so purpose, solely was to prepare the way of Jesus. He was the ultimate and the greatest hype man. I mean, can you imagine living your entire life? Your whole life's purpose and the mission of your life is to prepare for somebody. It's to set the stage of someone that's coming after you. And that was the life's calling for John the Baptist. And by the time that he emerged from the wilderness, so at a certain point you have to understand that he probably was separated, removed from the context of his own family. He left his own parents and he entered into the wilderness and we know that he, he wore like uh, camel hair, uh, clothes made out of camel hair, right? He only ate locusts and honey. John the Baptist probably had bad breath. He probably had what I call holy breath. Holy men of God oftentimes have holy breath. I know. This man ate only wild honey and locusts, and he lived probably alone in the wilderness. And by the time this rugged man, I, I, I imagine he probably was not well shaven. I imagine his hair unkempt, if not close to like dreads, because like, you know, like when you don't wash your hair, right? So he's coming out of the wilderness and he is shouting the first words that the public hears of John the Baptist is now what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I imagine 
This phrase right here, what, what John the Baptist is, is cited saying, and I imagine him repeating this phrase over and over again. This was not just a one-time occurrence. And I think John the Baptist uh, uh, broke out of the wilderness, emerged from the wilderness, announcing the kingdom of God, announcing the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tethered with the announcement of the kingdom of God and the Messiah to come was the message of repent. And that was the sole purpose, that was the sole uh, motif and the theme of John's sermons and his message to the public. What is repentance? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament context, the word for repent meant or means change of direction. If we break it down into literal translation, the word repent means um, to return to something that you had once left. It's to, it's to go back to where you originally came from. So sometimes when we think of the word repentance, we think of it as just like, oh, um, oh just feel sorry for what you have done. It, it, it's, repentance is not feeling remorseful. Repentance is not feeling guilty, being recognized as a guilty feeling. Repentance is not just mere recognition, and it's not even just admission of your wrongdoing. It's not just confession either. Repentance incorporates, it embodies all of those three things. Do feel sorry and feel remorse for what you have done. Literally confess what you have done. Not only that, we don't stop there. True repentance indicates or is evidence and signified by there's a clear, recognizable change of direction. That is what repentance is. And you ask yourself, why is John the Baptist saying this? Literally, guys, these were the first words coming from a messenger of God for more than 400 years. First of all, the prophecy of the Messiah to come was given in the era of prophet Isaiah, right? About 700, 800 prior to the birth of Jesus. So about 700-800 BC, the, the message comes and says, you know what, the Messiah is going to come. And he will one day, once and for all, atone for the sins of the humankind. And then the Israelites entered this funky stage, funky era of, we call it the silent periods. Since the prophet Malachi and his ministry, God said, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you guys at all. God ghosted them for 400 plus years. Can you imagine that? Someone that you're in a relationship, like you get ghosted. No IM, no DMs, no texts, no cacao, no telegram, none of that stuff. No Facebook, Messenger stuff, none of that. Completely ghosted. And literally the first words that you hear from God is, repent. Turn away from your wicked ways. When you do, and only then, that you will have access to the kingdom of God. These are serious words. 
And I think also confusing words for the audience at the time of John the Baptist and Jesus. Now they're thinking, what? Repent, I get that part. But what, is, what do you mean the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God, I mean, think simply. Kingdom of God means the reign of God, the rule of God. And I know for us as like free people living in this wonderful country and, and, and for people that are not occupied other more powerful nations, and we're not enslaved, right? That's kind of like inconsequential. That word is inconsequential. But what if you are a nation? What if you're a citizen of a nation? Actually, you don't even have a country of your own. You have been occupied for hundreds of years, if not longer, by all the surrounding powerful nations of the world. You have been enslaved. You have been under occupation of their uh, rule. Your laws are secondary to, the, to, to, to those of your uh, more powerful country. That was a huge affirmation. Another way God is saying, when, they, when we hear the kingdom of God is at hand, that is actually affirming news, meaning you are being redeemed as a people of God. And your God is going to rule over this world. And says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we may ask, is repentance something we must do before we can come to God? That's a legit question, right? Is repentance prerequisite for us accessing God? The answer is yes and no. It's both. Is it something that we have to do? Yes and no. Repentance, hear, hear me in this. Repentance does not only describe something we must do before we come to God. It also describes what coming to God is like. It's not something that we just do, but repentance also describes what the process is like. Imagine with me, let's say you are at home, and I say, hey, come to my house. Come to my house. Well, for you to come to my house, be at Scott's house, what do you have to do? You have to leave your house. If you don't leave your house, it's not possible for you to be or end up at my house. Does that make sense? So repentance is kind of like that. It's not just, uh, it's not something that we do, but it describes the process. The only only way that we repent is a clear change of direction, and the destination that you're headed is completely changed. You're headed this way. Now, for you to come before God, you have to turn another direction. And the New Testament in particular is talking about this change of direction. And repentance has always been prerequisite, always been tethered with this concept of the announcement of the kingdom of God. Let me give you a few um, occurrences in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1-2, right, what we have just read, the word repent was the first word out of John the Baptist's gospel. In Matthew chapter 4, 17 and Mark 1 14 and 15, when Jesus preaches, the first words out of his mouth were also repent. You turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 12, the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples 
when the disciples are now in the public and talking about the kingdom of God, the first words were also repent. Turn around, turn away. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, when we talk about Jesus giving the instructions to the disciples of his resurrection, also Jesus talked about repentance. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the first sermon ever preached. First sermon, who, who spoke the first sermon ever? Besides Jesus, right? About Jesus, who talked about him? Yes, sounds like either. Peter, yes, good job. Peter, when he first taught, when he had a first evangelistic outing, and the thousands got saved, first words that came out of Peter's mouth was also repent. Apostle Paul, in his preaching ministry, incorporated the word repent as well, evidenced in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. Friends, the proclamation of the gospel was always conjoined with a call for repentance. Repentance precedes transformation. Repentance precedes true encounter with God. Repentance precedes grace-filled life. And I'm here to uh, 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 preach to you and convey to you the necessity of repentance. And the way I read the Bible, repentance is not something that we do occasionally. It's not something that we do when we're jiving well, when we're in the right mood. So long as we want to access the grace and mercy of God, repentance has always been demanded or always has been required for the people of God prior to encountering God. Repentance is the gateway to encounter God's grace and mercy. It's also important to note that the purpose of repentance, because of the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. You cannot have God ruling over us. You cannot have the precepts and the kingdom principles to be relevant and to be realized in your own life without the act of repentance. And this naturally means that repentance is not something that you do once. Repentance is not just once and for all. Repentance is not something that we do at the time of our conversion. Repentance is something that we do just as John the Baptist repeatedly announced the kingdom of God, the reign of God, and the rule of God to be present in their lives. Repentance is something that we do repeatedly and as needed as to, for the rest of our, li as our lives as we announce to God and as we announce to our souls, say, God, come, reign in me. God, I messed up. I'm sorry for what I have done. God, I made a mistake. God, I'm sorry for offending you. God, I'm sorry for sinning. God, now would you come into my life? Would you empower me to have this change of direction? Would you allow me to have a change of heart? Would you allow me to long for your, what you long for, God? For me to desire what you desire, God, and abhor and, and abstain from what you abhor and abstain, God. Repentance is something that should be very visible and evident in your life. Unless... Unless 
you are perfect. I know some of us are very close to it. And I'm learning from you. But so long as we are on this journey of sanctification, so long as we continue to fumble here and there, you know, we, we, we mess up sometimes, right? But I do believe the channel which the grace and mercy of God flows, I think without proper repentance, it's something, something gets clogged. Do you see what I'm saying? I think it serves as a blockage and a roadblock where we can't easily access the grace and mercy of God. What does that mean? What does repentance look like? And we have to admit, right, it's certainly not easy. It's certainly not easy for us. Like, man, hey, hey, you should say sorry. You messed up and do what you need to do. Make things right. It's really tough. As, as older you get, you, you, you hope that it gets easier, but it gets actually more difficult because we think we're smarter. We think we are um, more experienced. Uh, the last thing is the real thing. We, we are just straight up, we just become straight up more prideful. We become so stinking proud and stubborn as we get older. So when someone says, hey, man, you're going the wrong way, well, what are you talking about? I mean, if you don't know Exhibit A, next time you drive, see, I mean, allow your spouse or allow your driving mate to comment every time. And see how you respond and you react. Oh, that's Bubusam all day long. Yeah. I mean, do we not, like, that, that's the nature of, of, of our beings. Right? But you can't demand access to grace and forgiveness of God and deny the truth and repentance. You can't desire the mercy of God. You can't deny, uh, you, uh, you can't demand grace. You can't demand uh, 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 love of God and decide to bypass this act of repentance where there is a clear admission of your wrong. There's a clear remorsefulness of what you have done. And there's a clear indication of you desiring that now I'm going to leave where I was once was. I'm going to head back towards the way of life in the presence of God. Transformation occurs not when we hear what we like to hear, but when we hear what we need to hear. Let me say that again. Transformation takes place when we hear what we like to hear, Change happens, essentially, when we are nudged of something that we did not know before. And change needs to happen. And sometimes when we hear it for the first time, we don't like it. And again, I, I bring in the example of marriage. I didn't think I was an insensitive person before I got married. I didn't think I was a picky person. I didn't think I was a difficult person to live with until I got married. But when you are told... More times than you would like, you begin to think about, oh man, maybe I'm not the greatest guy. <sighs> maybe I'm not that pleasant. It makes you think. And I don't, I, for, for me, honestly, I don't think the uh, assessment of the, how pleasant is God, I think that's secondary. 
But I think the true uh, value of that is that it forces you, it makes you to be better. It prompts a change in you for the first time because you're being told, hey, there's an opportunity. You see what I'm saying? But if I'm constantly told that, Scott, you're great, you're amazing, John, you're, you're so funny, you're, you're so pleasant, you're so charming. He's like, I know. Forget it. If, you're, if only thing that you hear is affirmation, I guarantee you, man. See, he's already lost in his own mind. He thinks he's the greatest, big, greatest person. For him to know, are you ready, John? I'm going to just go off the rails now. Man, you are, you are rude. You are annoying. Man, you're so selfish. He's, gonna, he's so unfazed. I need to pick another person. He's so unfazed. But you know what? In the moment, you say, what if, just, you don't know me. But that's going to make you think. When you hear the truth for the first time that perhaps there is a chance, a chance that you don't have it all together. Only then that prompts a change. With humility, with your willingness to accept what you're being told. Have you guys heard of this phrase? The truth hurts, but it hurts so good. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that I've heard it. But truth does hurt, doesn't it? Um, if you're not empathizing with what I'm saying, give me about a minute. I'll unload some truths to you. <laughs> and I will hurt you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Truth hurts, but also there's value in that when we are pointed to a different direction. It prompts a change in all of us. And John the Baptist here, in Matthew chapter 3, he's announcing to the people, hey guys, the kingdom of God is coming. God is going to speak to you again. God is no longer silent. God is no longer absent in your lives. And he will literally come. As you have been under the occupation of the Romans for, for years, but now the true king is coming. You will experience freedom. You will experience the jubilation. You will experience what you have never encountered. The kingdom of God is at hand. But he precedes that announcement, the wonderful announcement. He says, now, but you got to repent. You got to turn away from your wicked ways. You got to turn around from the ways of selfishness. Repent. There's a great example in the Bible, one of the famous stories in the Old Testament. I'm just going to touch upon it real quick. And as a man of God, he, he's so revered. He's definitely on the, the Mount Rushmore of, or the Hall of Faith in the Bible. I mean, King David, you guys know, right? David was an amazing, amazing man of God. And the description of David is such as that, a man after God's own heart. I mean, think about that, man. If I had been pegged as that title, I'm making a t-shirt, a hat. You know, I'm, I'm embroidering, I'm franchising that. I mean, copywriting that. I mean, David was that dude. David was a man signified with his soul devotion to God. But you know that King David also had a very a rough season in his life where he goofed pretty big. He messed up. 
I mean, he, he became the king, right? I mean, he had this drama. He was selected by Prophet Samuel as a youngest member of the Jesse's family. And he's, you know, he has this, like, amazing, amazing, like, war story to tell for the rest of his life. Hey, man, I slayed a giant with just one stone. Slingshot. Gangster. He was a shepherd. He was a worship leader. Amazing. This guy had it all. He had charisma. And he was good looking, unfair, cheat code, right? So he became a king and he's like victorious. And God is fulfilling all of his promises to David and through David. He's victorious, he's, he's conquering kingdoms, right? So, and then he was so, at the peak of his success, he chooses to not participate in a war. So the rest of his nation is fighting in the war. And it was, in those days, it was very common. Yes, the king would roll up to all the wars and all the battles. For one day, he decides, you know what? I'm not going to do it. So he chose to stay back in his home. And he's just kind of like wandering around. He's probably bored. There's time twiddling his thumbs. He's walking around. He goes into rooftop or he goes, I'm not, he goes to the top of his building or his castle or where he's running. <laughs> He's going, <laughs> and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he was immediately captivated. So he sends his servants and they find out who that lady is. They find out what that person is about. Long story short, he ends up taking her in. He ends up sleeping with her. He ends up impregnating her. She came back to David and said, hey, king, I'm not pregnant. I think this is your child. So he commits an adultery. He took in another person's wife. Oh, by the way, this man, Uriah, was actually a general of David's army, and he was fighting in a battle. First, he commits a sin of adultery. Second, so now he's panicking. He's like, oh, my gosh, what happened? So he decides to cover up his mistake. He decides to cover up this act of adultery. So he says now, so he commands the servants, he says, now, Bring back Uriah. He called that general. Hey, make sure that he has, give him a furlough, have him rest for a couple of days, and bring him in. And he tells him to, hey, make sure you go home and rest. And he, he go inside. And Uriah refused. He says, how can I enjoy this break? How can I be on vacation when my men are fighting in a war, risking their lives? So this guy slept outside his own home. Another like crazy guy, a loyal man. And David is panicking. David is like, oh my gosh, he's, he, he, his schemes are not working. So what does David do? He commands Joab, he says, hey man, tell, now tell Uriah, command Uriah to fight in the front line of the battle. Sure enough, Joab sends Uriah to the front line of the battle, and he gets killed there. So we're talking about adultery, lying, now murder. Check this out, guys. Check this out. Now, this, there's a baby now, like Bathsheba is taken in by David, and now she's pregnant, right? At that time, at the time, prophet, what, Nathan comes to David and he tells a little story. He tells us parable. He tells a story about a man uh, stealing something from another man. And when 
David hears this little parable from prophet Nathan, he's outraged. Oh my, OMG, no, oh, did he say OMG? Oh my God, how can you? That man's a thief. He deserves to be punished. And Nathan says, hey, King David, you're that dude. You're that dude that stole someone's wife. David's like, oh, what? Me? He's feeling bad, right? He's feeling bad. Now, that baby that was born the baby dies as well. So David, adultery, deception, murder, killing of another baby, another life. Now Nathan says, because of what you have done, your kids are going to suffer. There's gonna, there are going to be quarrels among your descendants. There's going to be killing. I mean, if you read the subsequent chapters of 2 Samuel, what happens there's ancestral relationship happening with his daughter and his son. And the sons ends up killing each other. It's like brutal, brutal stuff, right? And Nathan basically foreshadows, hey, this is the consequence of your sin. And when David is finally told of what he had just done, at that moment, he's finally unblinded from his own sins, and he sees what he had done. And I want you to know I want you to just kind of get it. You, you imagine, as a king of a nation, as a favored man of God, a man after God's own heart, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? We're fortunate to know exactly what was going through David's mind because Psalm 51 provides us the details of what David was going through. And I want to just read for you that. Read for you what he's saying. This is, this is a song that David wrote shortly after that he had committed this adulterous uh, act. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my inquiry and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Verse 11, I know it's not shown to you here. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not, holy, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. There's clarity in David's acknowledgement of what he had just done. And there's a clear evidence of David saying, God, these are the things that I've done, and I'm sorry. And there's an acknowledgement of the character of God. God, I have sinned. I have messed up terribly. I have sinned against you. But there's also recognition and the character and the nature of God. But God, I know that you are merciful. God, I know that you are full of love and grace. And God, I need you. I lean on your mercy, God. 
in my broken state, in my helpless state, God, in my unforgivable and intolerable state, God, you are the only one that I can lean on. God, I am sorry. And he's now petitioning for mercy and the restoration that could only come from God. Guys, this is an evidence of the right ways of repentance. Repentance is not just a feeling. Repentance is not something that you think about when you mess up. Repentance is saying. Repentance is willing. Repentance is also committing to the different way of life, different direction of where you had come from. I'm almost done here. This past week, I had a chance to catch up with one of my pastor friends, a buddy of mine. And he, and he pastors, he works in an immigrant church context. He works in a Korean church. And, and he, he, while he's the you know, pastor for the English ministry, but he, uh, his boss or his senior pastor is first-gen Korean. And uh, so there's a unique um, culture and ways of, of being in such environment. And he shared with me actually about a month ago, um, the senior pastor had done some things that troubled my friend. He had said and done things that really just, really unwarranted. It just, in my view, I think in many people's view, it just like really wronged him, right? It's so much so that my friend thought about quitting, thought about leaving the church of, his home church of like, you know, many years. He thought about just leaving the pastorate altogether because of what was happening. Uh, so, I mean, so great offense, a great act was like wrongful act was done. About a month went by, nothing. And it was a while he's like brewing his like hurt, disappointment and sadness and, and even anger, right? But the culture dictates so that you're not a lot, you're never asked to express how you feel. You're told what to, what to feel. They're so nice. They just decide for you. And he was thinking about that. And about a month later, he was in a staff meeting with all the pastors present. And he said, all of a sudden, the senior pastor that he was still like uneasy about, angry, upset, sad about, all of a sudden, publicly started like affirming my friend. You're such a good pastor. You're amazing. Oh, you're doing so well in ministry. So he was kind of like confused, right? It's like, man, like, what are you, why are you doing this all of a sudden? What the heck? So he was like just kind of confused and like didn't really know. And, and after the staff meeting in the morning, um, another pastor, he was in the more Korean, I assume the Korean ministries, he pulled him aside, hey, 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 pastor, let me talk to you. Did you just realize what happened? I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, the senior pastor complimenting me. And like, hey, man, like you should be good now because he was basically apologizing to you. He's like, what do you mean? Like, that was an apology? He's like, yeah. Like, in the Korean culture, that's how you apologize. <laughs> or if he's affirming you, like, that's him saying, hey, we're good now. I'm over it. So now I want you to feel free and, like, we're good again. So my friend who was not really well-versed in that culture is like, that is so bizarre. Like, it's I think he like cursed a little bit. He's like, what the? 
And then when I heard that, my heart just completely broke. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not that nice. So I, I got really angry first. <laughs> for me, I get angry and then I get sad because I repent, right? God, I'm sorry for the anger. And I think I also said, man, that's... And I said, what the... <laughs> and it just broke my heart because sometimes we... Many times we just bypass because we are required to humble ourselves. We would be required the wrong that we have just done. We don't like that. We don't like the awkwardness. So we let the moment slide. With that, we let that moment go by as long as possible. Just when it is being forgotten and the recesses of our minds, then we say, hey, we act like nothing ever happened. In our eyes, that's restoration. If you don't bring it up, if you don't feel it, acknowledge it, then we're good. I'm not sure if that's the proper way of us being restored. If you are in a relationship, that is certainly not the way you mend things together. I'll give an example. There, among many rules in the old residence, you guys know that Esther and I, it took us years to come up with what works for us. And one of the rules that we have is um, when mom and daddy, when mom and dad, sometimes we get into conflicts and we argue, like, oh, you argue, oh, man, you should live with us. We raise our voices sometimes. We fight. When that happens, we, of course, we reconcile. We say sorry to each other, whatever. And then, and one of the rules we have, we always have to talk to our kids. We go to them, say, we're sorry. Mommy and daddy are sorry for screaming. Not screaming, yelling. Mommy and daddy are sorry for making things weird and awkward for you guys. We apologize. It was really weird. First of all, I was like, man, it's just a kid. I think our kid, like Sammy must have been like seven or eight when we started doing this. I was like, man, and he said, like, he doesn't really know. He's like, okay, I forgive you. I'm like, Ugh. And I would get annoyed. It's like, man, this little kid, you're going to say, just don't say anything. Let me apologize. Let me walk away. But he would say, I forgive you, Daddy. <laughs> I got, like, I need your forgiveness. But we, we make a habit of doing that. Even like, but we, we do that now. Even when we discipline him, and in our anger, in our correction and discipline of our kids, clearly they're in the wrong. We also say, if we get too emotional, if we get too angry, we apologize also for our anger. This one was really hard for me because, like, they're going to forget the discipline that they needed to get if we apologize for our anger. But I'm, I'm coming around. And we always say, hey, I want you to know that daddy made a mistake. And I'm really sorry. And when we pray, we hug it out, and we walk away. If you ask me, if, is that easy? You think apologizing to your wife, your spouse is difficult, 
Try doing that to a kid. Try doing that to a kid that knows far less than you. I know more math formulas than they do. I have more words in my vocabulary than they do. Imagine doing that to someone as young and immature. But I believe transformation should require all of these components of repentance where you admit and you experience the sorrowfulness in your heart and you acknowledge God but you can restore me and God empower me to turn away from my own ways let's invite the praise team to come on up What did we say repentance was? Change of direction. Turning away from your wrongdoing to turning towards God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and the 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says this. If my people who have been called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. There's that word metanoia. There's that word repentance. When they turn from their wicked ways, I will surely come and heal their land. God says, my plan for you is to heal you. My desire for you is for you to be whole. My desire for you is to be free from the shame and the guilt that you carry. And it says, I can do that. I have the power and I have the desire for you to be restored fully back onto me. But it says, repent. Turn from your ways. You turn. Make a detour. Change your direction. Now come back. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Ain't that wonderful? That's the promise of God. Repentance ushers in renewal. Repentance ushers in and beckons revival. Repentance ushers in healing and full restoration in the presence of God. And today, dear brothers and sisters at Rooftop Church, I'm encouraging you, I'm imploring, imploring you that you turn away from your anger, that you turn away from your dishonesty, that you turn away from your bitterness, that you turn away from the unfaithfulness in your heart, you turn away from the lust and the sexual impurities and immorality. I'm implor imploring you that you turn away from your deceitfulness, stubbornness, even your apathy. May you and I say, God, I want you because I need you. I can no longer live, no longer live my life in the way that I've been going. God, come. Heal me.
Heal this land, God. Guys, we don't repent for the grace of God to enter our lives. We don't ever repent for grace. We repent because of grace. We confess and we're remorseful because at the end of that, what is waiting, awaiting us? God's grace and mercy are awaiting us. If it wasn't for anything other than grace and mercy of God, if it was wrath of God, if it was God's judgment and pounding and then scolding of you, I tell you what, we would not repent. Because it's His kindness, because it's His mercy that leads us to repentance. Come on, somebody. Understand that God is there waiting for you to meet with you guys. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. So may you not live in fear. May you no longer spend any more time in pain and shame and bitterness. But come. Drink from the fountain of His grace and mercy. Would you pray with me?